thank you for your presence. We thank you for the souls that were saved this morning. We thank you for the healings that happened in bodies, minds, and souls, and emotions. We thank you, Father, that, Lord, you are, rest, you are restoring marriages and homes and lives. Thank you that you are giving hope again to those that have been bound by de- desperation and despair and loneliness. Thank you, Father, for the work that you've been doing in the lives of those who's been seeking and calling upon your name. We praise you for your presence upon your people. Yes, God. We thank you for what we're going to receive tonight. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the stirring up. Just be willing to be watchmen and stand in the gap. And cry out to you day and night and not cease. That the hand of wrath be extended away from us. That our children may grow up in peace. That our land be broken from a curse. Lord, we come before you. We pray this tonight. In the precious name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Would you turn to somebody next to you and just shake their hand, hug their neck. Tell them, I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm glad you are here tonight. In Jesus' name. sure glad you came back out tonight. Hallelujah. We bless you. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Hey, boys, I was looking for y'all this morning. Come on. Where's it at? There you go. Come on. There you go. There you go. There you go. I practiced and I didn't see you this morning. Glad you're here. Hallelujah. We bless you tonight. Glad you're here. And for an awesome time, we're going to be speaking about our guest in just a few moments. But, uh, I just want to praise God for the souls that were saved again this morning. Hallelujah. Thank God. We just praise God for what He's doing. And according to the count of everyone, we were about 510. So praise God for that. We're just thankful for what God is doing. Hallelujah. God is good. But the main thing is that people came and they received something. And as you'll receive tonight. If you have your Bibles, I want to just share with you in Psalms chapter 66, verse 12. Psalm 66, verse 12. It says, this is the New King James. It says, you have caused men to ride over our heads, and we went through fire, and we went through water. How many ever been through the fire and the water, huh? But listen to what it says here. I love this part. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment. You brought us out to rich fulfillment. Say that with me. Rich fulfillment. That word there, fulfillment, is rawah, and it means that when you're thirsty like you've never been thirsty or hungry like you've never been hungry before, it's being totally satisfied to where you forgot the pain you had while you were thirsty and the pain you had while you were hungry. It's the same used in Psalms 23.5, my cup runneth over, is that same Hebrew word, which means I'm totally satisfied. How many of the Holy Spirit just want to get you into a place in your heart and your emotions, your mind, where you can say, I am satisfied with Jesus. I'm satisfied with His promise, with His Spirit. And it also means, Lord, I am I'm better off because of the trial, the flood and the waters. I'm better off after going through it than I was before because I didn't realize how satisfying you were till I went through it. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we live a life like, man, I am just messed up. I just cannot stand what I'm going through. Why am I going through this? It's because there's a taste and see at the end of your trial that you go, wow, if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have known the richness and the blessing, the fulfillment of my God. Amen. And it also to give you courage to endure. And verse 20 says, blessed be God who has not turned away from my prayer nor his mercy from me. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God? And that He hears your prayers and that He loves you and He cares for you. So I want to just give you that encouragement. You may be going through a trial right now and you're thinking, why am I going through this? It's because you're going to be so satisfied. You know, I don't, I don't know about y'all, but once in a while we have a few restaurants down in South Louisiana that we go to. Or maybe something in Baton Rouge that whenever we go that direction we like to go. 
and it just makes the trip well worth it because we know where we're going. And so we'll go to a restaurant in Baton Rouge, and we won't eat all day because we know there's a lot of food coming that night. And we are able to just hold off on eating till we get to Texas de Brazil. And when you get to Texas de Brazil, there's just the meat and 50 things on their salad bar. And it says, like, all day long I've been waiting. And then when you get there, you're so satisfied, you're hurting all the way home. But, boy, it's a good hurt, but it hurts. Well, I want you to know, you might be going through something. You're going, oh, man, what is going on? It's to encourage you. Listen, just don't quit and don't give up. Because there is, you brought us out into rich fulfillment. Oh, nothing satisfies like Jesus. Amen. He's the greatest high of all highs. Hallelujah. So I want the ushers come forward. We're going to get ready to receive uh, this, tonight's offerings and tithe. And we bless you and thank you for your giving. And I just want to, don't forget to get the calendar. We have the calendar last week of everything that's going on. And there's other things going on here. SWAT is meeting uh, at Ryan's uh, August 14th at 6.30. You can see Sister Kay about that. Uh, the burn service, August 14th uh, at 7.15. Is that here? No? Okay, somewhere else you can talk to Jake about that. And then the Gracetown Kids uh, Ministry is going to have a lock-in Friday, August 21st, 8 to 8, uh, eight to, from Friday to 8 to Saturday. Oh, God bless you. Oh, all that time with kids. God bless you. Anyway, so make sure you get all this. Listen, we love you. We bless you. Glad you're here tonight. And uh, God bless you.
forever. I love you forever. I love you forever, Lord. And I love you forever. And I love you forever. And I love you forever, Lord. No, I do. And I love you forever. And I love you forever. And I love you forever. Lord, you know I do, Jesus, and I love you forever, and I love you forever, and I love you forever, Lord, you know I do, Jesus, and I love you forever, and I love you forever, and I love you forever, Lord. And I'll love you forever. I'll forever. I'll love you forever, Lord. One more time. I'll love you forever. I'll love you forever. I'll love you forever, Father, we come before you tonight and we lift up our teachers and our students as they start this new year off. Father, we pray over our schools, over our region. We pray peace and security and rest. We pray that this is going to be a good school year for our children and for our teachers. Thank you, Father, that, Lord, there is a peace and a calming effect going on as the teachers get in front of these students. Lord, we think that you will be able to use our teachers as instruments that their lives will be studied and looked upon and be an influence within our schools we pray over the principals and vice principals we pray over those schools in this city and we're so thankful for those that are still reading your word and praying over the intercom before every class we thank for our area our region we thank you father for safety over the buses over our children as they go and as they come thank you for good education Thank you, Father, what you're doing in our area. And we give you praise for it. And we speak peace and energy and strength into our teachers and to all those in leadership. We pray and ask this and we thank you for it. And, Lord, we do decree and we ask you to cover our schools that we will not have an outbreak of, of a, a flu. We will not be terrorized by these terrorist spirits of infirmity. But, Lord, we believe you watch over our children and our teachers and all of us. And we think that we believe in your divine health and your healing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And the church says? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, how many of you guys are ready for school? Anybody? <laughs> Two. Okay. How many were like me? I wouldn't be saying, oh, I'd be going, oh. Listen, we have a special night tonight. We're so glad to have our guest. First of all, I want to just introduce an old friend, probably since 74. Brother Nathan Martin, we were friends and our dads were friends. Pastor here at Christian Challenge and our city council. I mean, that's awesome to have a pastor and a city councilman. And uh, we've been on the mission field together, taking trips. Went through language school together. Been knowing each other a long time. And uh, he believed one of my lies for many years. And then one day when I was in the ministry and he brought it up, I had to repent that he had believed one of my cowboy stories and told a lot of people at school that I killed a buzzard with a stick. And I wore buzzard feathers in my hat, and I told him I'd stuck up on it while I was drinking water. And he thought I was Daniel Boone. He told it to the school. He might have told it to Brother Jimmy, because he told me he told everybody at school. And then I, before I preached at his daddy's pulpit, I said, Nathan, i got to tell you the truth. That was a Texas fib. And I'm sorry for lying. And I never, so anyway, we got that right, so we're okay now. He knows it's not true. But anyway, I'm so glad I have him. So I want, Brother Nathan, would you come up, please, sir? And we're so honored to have you tonight. And he's going to introduce Brother Jimmy, and we bless you. Let's give him a hand. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And uh, I have uh, long looked up to Russell. Uh, when we were children and we were teenagers and playing in the woods, uh, uh, and of Mora, Louisiana, 
on the other side of Flatwoods. You, you, have, you can't get there from here. You have to go somewhere else to get there, <laughs> way out yonder. But uh, you know, I believed that story for a long time. And actually what happened was I think I told so many people the story, got back to him, and, and the Holy Spirit said, you need to go make that right. He came, and then, then I had to go around and tell everybody it wasn't true. But I still respect him. I still respected him and, uh, and, and have been a fan of Russell's for many, many years. I really am. I want to tell you guys something. As another pastor in this community, I respect your pastor, and I respect your church. I respect what God is doing here. In fact, I had a call the other day. Somebody uh, was visiting from out of town. I don't even know. They may be here tonight. I don't know. And they came by, and they said, I, you know, we're looking for a church that does this and does this and this. And I said, I tell you what, you're in the wrong place. You need to go over there across from Kmart. I'm telling you the truth. I sent them over here. So, uh, because I believe that God is doing some really wonderful things here, and I, res- I appreciate the influence that Word of Grace has on our community. And I know on Sunday nights, for some time, I've, I've visited a few Sunday nights, but for some time, uh, you guys have been working and dealing with issues that affect our society, our government, taking a stand on issues that are important that affect our families. And tonight, I'm very honored to have another very good friend of mine, a gentleman that I went to high school with many years ago. We won't talk about him many years ago, but a man who I've become very close friends with. Uh, Jimmy Faircloth it was for several years the city attorney for the city of Pineville uh, during the time that I was serving. And I continued to serve on the city council, but uh, after a period of time, he was selected by Governor Bobby Jindal to serve as his personal attorney, the executive counsel to the governor, which is in essence the governor's attorney. And for the last 18 months, he has been the man that Bobby Jindal leans on for legal advice, for all types of uh, governmental advice, policy advice, and uh, he has helped shape the state that we're in over the last 18 months. I'm grateful that Jimmy has sacrificed his personal time, his family, his involvement in his children's lives to, to place himself in that position of influence on our community. This spring... Uh, a position on the, United, on the Louisiana Supreme Court opened up, and uh, several people approached Jimmy about running for that office, but he said he would not run for that office as long as he was a, an employee of the state of Louisiana, that he didn't think it was right to be paid by the state of Louisiana and have that position of influence and be campaigning for another office. And so uh, just a few weeks ago when the session was ended, he committed to Governor Jindal that he would finish out the session, and when the session was ended, he resigned as the executive counsel for the purpose of seeking that seat. And um, he uh, is here tonight not to campaign, not to ask for your vote, but simply to share some of the perspective that he has seen over the last 18 months of how faith has shaped the issues of the day in, in Louisiana and how people of faith have changed the discourse and have actually changed the policy and to challenge you and me to continue the fight to continue to stand and continue to call to call the, your state representative, to call your state senator, to make those calls because you don't realize, you don't realize, and I hope he can help you understand, you don't realize how important your voice is. And so it's my honor tonight to introduce and present to you my very good friend, Jimmy Faircloth, as he comes and shares his story of faith and in politics. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. I'm, I'm a bit surprised. Um, I, I didn't come anticipating to speak. I came to worship tonight. Um, Nathan asked me to come over and meet Brother Russell and, and, to, and to worship in this service, and I was proud to do it, and I am proud to be here. And then speaking with Brother Russell before the service, we started talking about politics and the role of government, um, things that I've experienced in Baton Rouge, and he said, well, why don't you speak a little bit and talk on the subject, because I understand that you on Sunday nights do sometimes talk about the role of government. So I'm glad to do that, but I give one disclaimer. Um, I, I don't have any prepared notes, so what you're going to hear is you're going to hear my political views mixed in with a little testimonial and a little comments about my own faith. I, I apologize if it's a bit rambling, but um, I, I'm typically a pretty straight talker, and so uh, I'll, I'll be to the point, and I'll, I'll tell you what I, what I really think. Let me back up a minute and tell you about who I am. And, and the things I believe are important from a faith perspective. I, I've always been someone who, and again, I'm not a preacher, so I'm not going to preach to you. I'm just going to talk to you. I am a big believer that the presence of God is best shown through our families. Uh, that's what I'm all about. That's what I've always been all about. I was born and raised in central Louisiana. 
my real first experience in the church was if you go down Williams Lake Road, Route 107, take Williams Lake Road, there's a little Presbyterian church on the corner of Williams Lake Road and Palmer Chapel. Y'all may know exactly what I'm talking about. Little red brick building. My grandmother's Frankie Bobeth used to be Frankie White. Half my relatives are buried out in the old Craig Cemetery out on Philadelphia Road. The Whites and the Rylands and everybody else. That's my grandmother's side of the family. I would go to church every Sunday morning with my grandmother out there because I was a fanatical squirrel hunter. I, I hope that, you know, at some point I'm forgiven by God for killing so many squirrels. I just grew up in the woods. That's what I lived for. And I would go to my grandparents in Colleen every weekend. On a Sunday morning, my grandmother would take me to church. And there was this group of elderly ladies that held that church together. They were the backbone. And I learned from those folks. And we would go to Sunday school service. And to this day now, as I go back out there, it's interesting because as the evolution of our community has turned, a lot of these elderly ladies have died. And there's really a core group of five or six that still continue to hold that church together. It will always be very, very dear to me because what I learned in that community setting is I learned the very raw elements of faith. It didn't involve anything other than family and faith and repentance and a commitment. And those are the things that I was really raised on. Uh, They aren't complex. But again, they're raw and they're real. And that's the way I was brought up, and that's the way I am with my family. I have a wonderful wife. She's graduated of Powell High School. We went to Powell High School together. I chased her off to Louisiana Tech. She wanted to go to chiropractic school. Her father's a chiropractor here in town, and her grandfather's a chiropractor, and she wanted to go to school. So I chased her to Atlanta. And she lived in Marietta, Georgia, and I lived downtown in Atlanta. Finally talked her into marrying me. We got married came home, and we've raised our family and had our careers here in central Louisiana. Uh, I am blessed beyond what I should be. I'm humbled by the blessings that I've been given in my life. I have happiness out of this world. Um, It's not a perfect family. No family is perfect. But I am as committed and disciplined more so probably about my family and that core happiness and that core faith than I am anything else. And because of that, it drives me to happiness. And, 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 and so that's a little bit about myself. I give back to my community. I coach baseball because I see God in the faces of kids looking back at me who call me Coach Jimmy and think it's funny to play tricks on this Coach Jimmy guy. They don't think I'm a lawyer. They didn't think it was a big deal that I represented the city of Pineville or that I was executive counsel of the governor, except when I did get a picture with the governor in the mansion one, one day. That was the only time they ever really believed I did anything cool in Baton Rouge. But... I see God in those kids' eyes. That, that's, that's my connection to, to, to better community, to deeper faith, to, to, to real truth. And so that's a little bit of what I'm about. Um, my experience in Baton Rouge has been very interesting. I was prepared for it, and I, I was commenting to Nathan and Brother Russell before the service how fortunate we are in Pineville because having now experienced a lot of different communities and, and Politics is a strange thing. I'll, I'll give you kind of a 20,000-foot view of this strange dynamic that the founders of this country created. It, it, it's brilliant, but it's based on a principle that competing forces will produce a legitimate result. So every force has a counterforce. It's, it's a phenomenal system. The system, the, the justice system, you've got somebody on one side, somebody on the other side. They go to combat, and justice is produced in the courtroom. That's the theory. Well, in government, in the the three branches of government, it's the same thing. You've got the legislative branch pushing on the executive branch, executive branch pushing on the judicial branch. For every special interest group, you've got another special interest group that wants to stop that group because their interest is threatened. If you look at it in bits and pieces, it's the most self-centered thing you've ever seen in your life. Because everybody wants something for themselves, and they want to stop this group or this interest from getting it. So you get in there close, and you look at it, and it's horrible because it's so selfish. But when you step back from it, at the end of the day, it's based on a premise that legitimacy will prevail from all of this counter-pressure, that the counter-pressure will sanitize the bad. It's a brilliant premise. 
It works. I really think it works. It gets out of kilter when there's not appropriate counter pressure to issues. That's when it really gets out of kilter because what happens is it's that pressure that keeps it legitimate, that keeps the issues pushed out, and that keeps it legitimate. That's just the best word I can think of. Well, in the city of Pineville, you're very, very fortunate because most governmental structures are designed to have pressure. Pineville is very blessed to have a mayor and a council that for a number of years, and I expect it to continue, to handle that ebb and flow and pressure with civility and with good Christian principles that just aren't rarely found in government. And, and, and I'll give you an example. What's good for one district or ward in Pineville might not necessarily be good for another one. So there are issues that arise where the council members for their districts have to oppose each other. But it's handled in Pineville in such a way that you, as the public, really never have to see the, the ugly grind of politics because these people are gentlemen and gentle ladies, and they do it with such class and such civility. We're just blessed to have people like Nathan Martin in leadership. Now, I left that nice, sterile Christian environment and went to Baton Rouge. And I'm telling you, it's a grinder down there. It truly is. It is it's thrilled I did it. Thrilled I did it. It was fascinating. I'll tell you quickly how I got the job. And and Brother Martin, Nathan Martin, was, was one of the first I called when I got it because I just needed somebody with perspective to help me think it through. I was finishing up what I refer to as one of my maniac work sessions. I had depositions in New Orleans on one case, and I'd flown from New Orleans to California in a different case, left my car in New Orleans, took depositions for two days, and when I would go travel, I would just work myself to death so that when I got home, I could take some time off with my family. So, I mean, I would work. I would get up in the morning, and I'd work until I'd eat supper in my room at night, get up and work again. Flown from California back to New Orleans, took another round of depositions in another case, and was driving up I-49 just past the Woodworth exit on a Thursday afternoon in December of 07, and my phone rings, and I looked down, and it was Timmy Teeple, the governor's chief of staff, and Governor Jindal, who I had helped, and he was a friend of mine. I supported him when he ran for office. And I thought, he's going to ask me to be on some committee. I really don't have time, but I'll do it because I just think so highly of him. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? I said, hey, Governor, it's great to hear from you. You're tired. I said, I'm actually driving down the road thinking, why in the world am I still working this hard? You know, my daughter's got baseball practice at 6. If I hurry, I can get there. And he said, why don't you come to Baton Rouge and help me? And I said, well, sure, Governor. How can I help you? What do you want me to do? I'll do anything. He said, no, I mean really come help me. And I said, what do you mean? He said, come be my executive counsel. He said, Jimmy, I want somebody outside the Baton Rouge loop. I want somebody unprotected, I mean unconnected to the special interest that have been influencing Baton Rouge forever. I want a guy who will come down here and stand up and take the criticism and the pressure that comes with doing the right thing. And I said, wow. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not, I, I kid you not. Telling the story right now gives me kind of chills. I really did. Because that's how I felt at the time. And I immediately called Nathan, and I called a couple of my law partners, and I called my wife. I said, you're not going to believe what just happened. The governor general called and asked me to come do this. Of course, everybody said, you got to do it. you know, you got to do it. It's, it's a fabulous time in the state's history. What a great opportunity. you got to do it. I had to get out of my law practice, and I did. And I went out to Baton Rouge, took out a loan, and bought a condominium because I've got a 15-year-old, 13-year-old, and I couldn't bring myself to renting because I think one of them will probably end up down there at school and I would have thrown away the rent. And I went back to living like a college student. And it seemed like just a wonderful idea until about a month later. And I'm down there on the couch at night thinking, I, I just, I don't know about this. Love the work. Love the governor. Staff was great. Never been around such a decent just more group of people. You won't hear, you will not, as long as Bobby Jindal is governor, hear of a scandal coming out of that fourth floor. You will not, it will not happen. They actually, and I'm proud to say we actually, lived it. We understood boundaries, we understood right from wrong, and we lived it. 
But anyway, the stress from Baton Rouge became difficult because I am a, I'm a family guy. And I built my practice. As my practice got busier, I just get up earlier in the morning. But at 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening, I go home. I go home. It means something to me to go home, to eat supper, to lay in bed with my wife and watch TV. That, is, that's, that makes all of the craziness in the practice of law wash away, and it calms me. And I found myself not being missing that, just craving being home. And so for 18 months, for three or four nights a week, I'd live in Baton Rouge, and I'd drive back and forth as much as possible the other time. Very stressful. I started thinking, this is great. I'm glad I've done my time. But where is this going to take me? I mean, I really can't can't keep doing this. I've got a 15-year-old and 13-year-old. And I get a call one day from someone saying, Chet Trailer has resigned from the Supreme Court. Are you stepping down in May? Why don't you think about it? And after a lot of praying, I thought, you know, and, and Brother Russell made this comment a minute ago about trials. I spent 18 months, and I, and I told my wife this more than, more than 100 times. God is testing me. God is testing me. I always wanted to be involved. I always wanted to be engaged. He's testing me. He tested me through five sessions and two hurricanes. During the hurricanes, I was working 18-hour days living down there, and I, would drive. I drove back on I-49 one night during one of those storms because my wife was here without power and couldn't get the generator started, and it was my fault. So I came home to start a generator. It's a true story. That's a true story. True story. And she, and, she, and she would get me if she knew I was telling that as though it was the wrong thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. Oh, but, but, but that's right. Now I'm in trouble. Now I'm in trouble. But anyway, I, 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 I waited for, and I wondered what this was all about. And this, so this opportunity to run for the Supreme Court has, has, has opened. And, and I'm proud to do it. And, and I think I can do a good job. But, but let me tell you a little bit about Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge, as I said, is an environment of competing forces. But it's not just Baton Rouge. It's also like that at the national level, and even more so at the national level. It's unbelievable. I went after, two days after they passed the Stimulus Act, and again, this is kind of rambling, I went to Washington. All the executive councils from around the country were invited to come to Washington, all the top lawyers in the country. So I go up with Paul Rainwater, who is head of the Louisiana Recovery Authority. Great guy. And we sit in a room, and it's about this size, and there's about 100, about 100 people in there, most of them are lawyers. And I leaned over and told Paul, I said, I want to stand up, raise my hand, and say, has anybody in here other than me ever represented any real people? Because it was a room full of bureaucrats. And when I'm telling you they were giddy that government was getting engaged, I cannot, I mean, it, I left there thinking to myself, wow, the reach of the federal government is astounding now. Astounding. I'll never forget that feeling. It really shook me. But anyway, in Baton Rouge, what I learned, and I learned it in touching back and forth with Washington, is the power of the faith community in shaping policy. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And you remember what I told you about that counterpressure? Well, the fascinating thing about that counterpressure is if, and I'll refer to it as morality, because I think that's what it is. When you peel everything else away, it's morality. If morality does not take an active role, guess what? There is no counterpressure to a lot of amorality. It is really no more difficult than that. It is astounding. I Trust me when I tell you that every counterculture, everything that you would think is contrary to morality, is working a special interest angle to push and force an outcome that's consistent with what they want. It's happening every day, every moment. Best lawyers, best lobbyists that money can buy helps shape issues for the non-morality, I'll refer, I'll be kind, movements. So if morality doesn't push back, if faith doesn't push back, you lose the balance. And what will happen is our society will move further down the path. I was watching TV the other night, and I'm look, I'll admit, I'm one of these folks that I don't have local TV because I live about 320 feet off the road, and apparently the cable signal won't push more than 300 feet, and I refuse to pay what it costs to put the line all the way to the house, so I have satellite. My redneck roots. I just drew the line. So, but, but we rarely, you know, we watch a lot of the History Channel and Discovery Channel and things like that. And I 
goodness, my wife and I the other night flipped it on to what I thought was a regular TV channel. And the topics, just the titles and the descriptions on the cable box, I've got a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. I was embarrassed to be reading it with them in the other room. I mean, it's just, it's astounding where we've gone in terms of what's accepted. And it's not, these aren't fringe things. That's That's why I made the point about TV. These aren't fringe things. There are things on TV and things in music and things in radio, and I don't want to sound like a prude, but let's face it, this is, as I said, this is raw morality. If there's not a stand taken by the faith community, I don't know where it ends. That's, that's, the, that's where it's at. And there are some good people. Family Forum. Tony Perkins has done a great job. Gene Mills has done a great job. These are forces now in the shaping of policy in Baton Rouge. But what happens is, as I refer to it as the dark side, it, 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 it's a double standard. Because they try to create the appearance that you shouldn't advocate political positions and political policy from the pulpit or from church, because that's you know that's church. You keep it, keep it, you know, keep the politics out of the church. That's that's how they want it. And if you, and if you, and if you buy into that, you, you, faith's going to get pushed further back as this community evolves. So that is a reverse psychology that other anti-Christians and anti-faithful people push because they're pushing as hard as they can. But let me give an example of how the system works. And, and this kind of ties to my beliefs of the role of courts. I'm a rule guy. Old baseball player, old football player. I'm a rule guy. I, I, I believe that there are rules and those rules are not there simply to control the conduct of individuals. I believe that consistent Commitment to those rules helps shape community conduct at large. There are big consequences, big positive consequences to the orderly following and and commitment to rules and structure. It's it's, it's family environment. It's, It's the Bible. I mean, these are important rules and traditions that if we follow them, we'll improve. Well... In the judicial system, what happens is, I believe, you get a lot of times you get judges who are appointed or elected, and they don't like the outcome of the legislation. So they say, well, this is the way I think it should be. And they start legislating from the bench. They start creating policy from the bench in a position where they're not accountable because there are no committee hearings to discuss with a judge what his ruling is going to be. He writes an opinion. The legislative process, though, is different. And this is, brings me back to my point about the role of faith. I've watched those legislative committees work. I've testified in front of those legislative committees. There is nothing more powerful than the voice of the constituent to the legislator. I mean, it's stunning. And we would refer to them jokingly as the shirts are downstairs. And what I would mean for that, let's say that there's some group in favor of having ice cream trucks. Well, if the ice cream truck proponents would turn out, they'd all wear the same color shirts, whatever the issue was. You could put odds that the ice cream truck people were going to win. Because when they show up in that committee room and they sit there with those T-shirts on, and those legislators sit in that committee room, they feel those ice cream people talking to them. It's amazing. It is absolutely, it was one of the most interesting things. And I watched, but, but keep in mind, if faith isn't there, if it's present, it drives outcome. If faith is not there, the outcome may be different because there's other counter-pressure that's inconsistent with the faith community driving outcomes. And there's a lot of yakking in the hall and yakking in the back rooms that go on to produce the results. So the faith community has to be there. But I watched. You can send letters, and that's great. But phone calls to your elected officials. Go and see your elected officials. Make a trip to Baton Rouge. I watched... During, I can't quite remember what the issue was last year, but it was one hearing in particular where I watched this lady go to the mic impromptu. They were having a, t- uh, a committee hearing, and she was sitting in the back of the committee room, and it was a close issue, and it was not a big important issue to the policy of the state. And I happened to be going through the committee room getting ready for another hearing, and I stopped to watch because I was waiting to speak to some of the representatives who were on the committee. And she got moved by the issue, and she got up and went to the mic. 
She's a citizen. She put in a card. She went out and took her card, signed her name, and asked to speak because they'll recognize everybody. And she went to that table, and when she got through, all those lobbyists had just wasted a whole lot of money in their clients. She completely stole the room. Stole it. Because it was real. There was no money driving her testimony. There was no special interest driving her testimony. She was there because she felt strongly that this particular piece of legislation was offensive to her community for personal reasons that she wanted to describe. And when she got through, it died. The bill died. They voted. It didn't make it out of committee. But that is an example, a very simple example, happens all the time, of the power of real, genuine, personal commitment to the process. It's not about money. It's not about anybody making a buck. It's not about producing any, any, any measurable success. It's about improving the community. That's where the role of faith and government not just collide, but they wind together. Faith is at the actual root of all law. It, it, and I hear people talk about the separation of church and state. You can't separate faith from the law. You can't. That's where, that's where it comes. I, w- I was telling Brother Russell there was a show last night. I caught about half of it. It was very good. It was on the History Channel, and it was about the Ten Commandments and showing how laws and, and civilizations that y'all may have seen it have been structured through the years tracking the model set in place by the Ten Commandments. It's fascinating. I mean, everybody should watch that. If you don't think that faith is at, it's the driver of, of law. It is. So I'm completely dismissive to those who say separate church and state. You can't separate church and state. You can't separate morality from the law because that's what the law is supposed to represent. A couple other things I'd like to point out and and, and tell you about Baton Rouge. Um, There is a considerable, and, and, and I always have to be cautious when I talk as a candidate for the Supreme Court, because candidates for for the Supreme Court, if it looks like I'm mentally trying to dance around an issue, it's because the judicial canons say you can't publicly advocate a position on an issue that may come before the court. So I cannot tell you what I think the outcome would be on an issue that comes before the court, or that may come before the court. But I can tell you a little bit about Jimmy Fairclough, and about how I live, and the things I believe in, and you can draw your own conclusions from that. And, And that's just the reality of the system. As long as we're electing judges, then we, 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 we can't allow people to hide behind some blanket answer saying, I can't tell you anything about myself because if you draw conclusions about me, you'll be able to figure out how I'm going to rule on an issue. We can't do that. So I'll tell you a little bit about myself and I'll, some of my experience. You can draw your own conclusions. There's a movement to legitimize the non-traditional families in the law. It's happening. It's a big pressure. Um, and it's a well-funded movement, and it's a um, enthusiastic movement, and it's not going away. So if counter-pressure isn't applied from the faith community, the traditional family community, you're going to see advances made in their favor. I'm just That's just the way it is. So what I'm doing is I'm pleading with you to remain involved. Support traditional, faithful principles in the law. Let your legislators, let your chief executive officers, let your mayors and your council members and your, and your judges and your candidates who are running for office, smoke them out on the issues. Don't let people hide behind political gibberish. Ask them, what do you think about this issue? What do you think about that issue? Well, so here's what I'll do. I'll give you an example of an issue. I'll talk to you a little bit about abortion. I'm not going to talk to you about whether abortion is right or wrong as a matter of law. The United States Supreme Court has spoken on that, and if I was on the court, I'd have precedent there to guide the outcome of that. So I'm going to talk to you, since I'm standing here in this community of faith, I'm going to talk to you about abortion as a morality issue. I think it's a disaster. I think it's a disaster. you, You could never convince me, as a matter of morality, that abortion as a form of birth control creates better social policy than a preference for life. I, I can't even comprehend how you can 
with a straight face intellectually take that position. So there's a little bit about a social issue, you see, and that's what you need to make officials do. You make them separate. You make them t comment on their mor positions on certain morality issues. I, I, as a matter of constitutional law, no doubt about it, Roe versus Wade is hard to swallow. It's hard to swallow. There's been a lot of good judges who have written about that saying, I don't know how you produce that result from the text of, that, of the Constitution. But they did. Now, I submit that if that issue went to state legislators in those committee rooms that I was telling you about, where, where, you, where you folks show up and testify a little bit, you may have seen a different outcome. That's the system, folks. And that's, that's what happens when you get, I believe, policy being made from the bench rather than being shaped from the legislative committee. I'm just a big believer in separation of powers. I think if it's done properly, our founders, as they envisioned it, it works. If it's perverted, and I mean that from the standpoint of if one branch of government inserts itself into the role of the other branch of government because it thinks it can, nah, we don't like that result, so we're going to do it ourselves differently, that's when the system breaks down. That's when it breaks down. So on issues that pertain to morality, especially those faith based community. They're important to the faith-based community. Please be active. Please involve yourself. I'll give you one quick story. Um, and I can give you others. I'll, again, I apologize for rambling. Here is my best example, uh, I'll, I'll share this with you, of how I view faith and the role and, and what God is in terms of how God manifests himself in our lives and in our communities. I was at Louisiana Tech and there was a constitutional law professor there who I really liked this guy. He was so bright. I mean, he was just, just blessed to have a teacher like this. But he was a non-believer, a committed, intellectual non-believer. And we got into a discussion one day. My wife sometimes, then it was Kelly, my girlfriend, worked for him as a secretary, did typing for him. And I went by there one afternoon after his office. She was there working. And we sat down, and we got into a discussion of faith. And I'm not a student of the Scriptures. Not. But I think I have a real, again, raw understanding of how God manifests. I just, I, I think I understand that. And he starts talking about why he didn't believe. And I caught him in the middle of explaining how you just can't explain that there's a God. You can't. I mean, there's not. This is, this is almost, you know, this is, this is myth. This is myth taken to the extreme, and it makes people feel better. And he's given me all of the non-believer lingo. And he says, but I send my son to church with other people. Listen to this. Because they teach a lot of good lessons there, and it helps to build character. And I looked at him, and I said, doctor, I'm not going to say his last name, because some of you may figure out who he is. I said, that is God. What you just described is the presence of God. This faith and this good character and these good lessons and these principles, they're not in a vacuum. If these aren't just some idea that some well-intended person came up with, what you're describing is the goodness of God. And I told him, I said, see, your problem is you, you think he's a man walking around. Well, he came back as a man. But right now, he's, he's faith. He's goodness. So that's how I view the role of God. And I'll never forget that example. I think about it all the time. I've shared it quite a bit. But I'll never forget that. Trying to convince me there is no God, he effectively just gives me the best example I've ever had that there's got to be a God. So, anyway. I'm not going to go any longer because I can ramble all day, but I, I will ask you to do this. I didn't come here tonight to ask anyone to vote. I came here to worship with you. And I'm proud to have stood here and talked to you. And I hope you've learned a little bit about me. You're, you're, you're blessed to be a part of a good community. We're all blessed to be a part of a good community. Uh, when my wife and I, I'll never forget, I was competing in a mock trial tournament in Akron, Ohio, when I was in the third year of law school, they had a tournament called the National Invitational Mock Trial Tournament. They invite the top 12 mock trial programs from around the country, all the law schools, to come compete. And it's a recruiting tool. 
for firms all around the country. And I had finished a closing argument, and we had a good team, and this lawyer from this big firm in Rockefeller Plaza in New York, I think of the name right now, came up to me and said, look, you know, we'd really like to talk to you, blah, blah, and I said, hey, yeah, appreciate it. I'm just doing this because it's a lot of fun, and I'm learning stuff. I'm going to go home to practice law. And he said, where's home? And I said, Pineville, Louisiana. And he looked at me like I just told him I was going to, you know, drive up to Wyoming and crawl into a cave and set up a desk. And he goes, why would you go back? Why would you do that? There's so much opportunity. And I said, you, you know, I, you, I define opportunity differently than you do. My son gets on, his, gets on my four-wheeler, not his, and drives 300 yards to his grandmother's house to hang out with his grandma. You can't do that living in New York City. You can't do that. The other night, last week, I asked him, I said, Zach, you want to watch the All-Star game tonight? It was last week, baseball All-Star game was on two weeks ago. He said, no, I'm going to Moe's, his grandmother. I said, where are you going there? I'm going to go watch a ball game with her. So in about the seventh inning, because she's right around the corner, I go over to the house, and you've got this big 15-year-old man-child laying up on the couch with his grandmother scratching his back watching the ball game. <laughs> and I thought, and I, I give that as an example to you to make you understand that, that, that that's what I'm about. That's God. Happening right there in Hidden Path on my mother-in-law's couch. That's the love of God right there. And so that's what I'm about. That's who I am. I'm proud to have been a part of the leadership in this community. I'm proud to have gone to Baton Rouge and worked for a governor that I think is just a fantastic person who has his eye on things that, that, that most people in the minutia of politics don't understand. He's that bright. He's that driven. And he's that committed. Uh, and I ask that, that when you do, this election does come along. Speak of me favorable is all I ask. But in the meantime, I'll pray for you, and I ask that you pray for me and my family because the campaign trail is long and difficult, and I'll be out of the house a lot and on that road a lot. And, but I will tell you this, and I told Brother Russell this before it started. It's just a job interview for me. If, if I don't win this, I'm, I've, got, I've got everything I need right over there in Steel Meadow where I live and in this city of Pineville. My life is, is absolutely wonderful. This is just a job. So many times politicians get into this, and it becomes about them and their ego and their power. And that's not at all what I'm about. This is a job that I think I could do well, and I could represent you well, and I'd make you proud. You never once say I'm embarrassed that that guy went there because I live, I, I live it. So thank you very much for having me and for tolerating my rambling. And if I can leave on one point, I'll tell you this. I get around, now that I'm a politician, and go to a lot of churches. You're fortunate to have this guy sitting here. You're very, very blessed. Because he seems to have, I know he has, an understanding of the reach of faith and the mission of faith from a big perspective. These aren't about individuals. These aren't about moving and producing an outcome on some specific issue. This is about creating a better community and driving that counter force, the morality side, the counter pressure that is absolutely essential to producing a faithful Christian community in this world. So thank you very much for having me, and I'll come back and worship with you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that was great, wasn't it? Praise God. You know, uh, just please keep in touch with him, Jimmy, and I'll spell his last name. And if you need any more information, uh, look him up on his uh, web, is it website email. Okay, Jimmy Faircloth. It's F-A-I-R-C-L-O-T-H dot com. Uh, F-A-I-R-C-L-O-T-H dot com. And make sure you stay in touch. Pray for him. And uh, boy, wasn't that a great explanation about the opposing forces. And speaking of that, just something I want to say right quick. Just got a letter from Tony Perkins. And uh, Obama has put in, as you might have heard, um, uh, where's this guy's name? I'm rambling. You weren't rambling. You, do, you did good. Uh, this man uh, in the Department of Office of Safe and Drug-Free Schools, Kevin Jennings, who is the founder of the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network. And he has written books 
and uh, he wants to prompt your kids to uh, homosexuality, recruiting kindergarten uh, kindergartens as homosexual activists uh, to get into their lives and give them I pledge cards to ally with homosexuals, isolating and intimidating pro-family and Christian students, and a number of things there. He's getting ready to start a day of silence, and then not reporting molestation. He talked about a 15-year-old boy who was molested by a homosexual man and the importance of not reporting those things, keep learning to just keep it quiet because you don't want to offend anybody. Also, providing pornographic homosexual sex education with videos with graphic details and encouraging preteens to embrace immorality, distributing copies called the Little Black Book uh, V2O Queer in the 21st Century. And uh, there's just a number of things here that is just disgusting to read and everything. But I appreciate so much um, how Brother Jimmy spoke tonight about how if we're quiet, these things will continue to grow and to grow and to grow. And so I have a, a brochure here, and uh, I've got two other things that's come in through, di through, through different organizations. And I'll have it here Tuesday and Wednesday night for you to please call and write and sign your name to. Listen, if we don't do something about these things... It's going to be a horror. I'd just like to say one thing as is getting to about um, um, government-ran uh, uh, um, health care. Nathan in Mexico probably saw it too. We were in government health care for 18 years on the mission field in third world countries. And we had to be there at 4.30 in the morning to get a turn, to get another turn to go back at another time at 4.30 in the morning for them to tell us, come back in two weeks and you'll see this doctor, then you take out another turn, and then you'll go see this doctor, and there's hundreds of people going to see the same doctor, and we're at there at 4.30 in the morning in a hospital with no heat, and our baby's wrapped in blankets. That's government health care. And we have seen when the government doesn't have money to pay them, they go on strike, and there is no health care at all. You've seen it in Guatemala. And so all this stuff that we're hearing and all these promises and all that, it does not work. And so if we back up in the fight, it's going to get into position, and we're going to see this country as a third world country. We'll see, we will not recognize the America we knew and we love. And so the thing I want to encourage you about, let's get involved in these issues. Uh, I appreciate once again what Brother Jimmy said about if we're not the opposing force, then they're going to win, and we're going to be pushed out of the picture. And then our grandchildren and great-grandchildren will be suffering. But we've got to wake up the watchman. And stand the guard, pray, and let the watchman not be silent. Amen. So let's stand up. And we appreciate you so much being here tonight. Once again, thank you, Brother Nathan, for uh, Facebooking me. It was, see, it was a God that I got on Facebook. And uh, uh, telling me about Brother Jimmy and inviting him here. And, and he, he didn't even know when he got here that I was going to ask him to speak. But as you know, uh, we've been said we're very patriotic and we've been teased about it, but hey, we are very patriotic and we will not change. So help us God. Amen. We love our nation. And thank God that we have such a great man. How many want a redneck in office? Amen. I like that. Yeah. I mean, you see a four-wheeler right there. That would be the way to go. But, but we're proud of you, sir. And we appreciate your heart. We appreciate your spirit. And we appreciate your passion for going on and the sacrifice in running for this office. And uh, we, we appreciate it, and, and we will be praying and standing with you. We're honored. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you that this was a divine connection tonight to have our hearts stirred up as we are told to pray and fast and weep before you on behalf of the land. You said that you sought for a man who would stand in the gap on behalf of the land, that you would not strike it with a curse. Lord, I praise you that in the midst of this time and, and the things that we are hearing and we're seeing, you have been raising up and you are forming a remnant that will not back down from raising up their voices, crying out to you and crying out here on this earth to push back the forces of darkness. Lord, we just pray right now that you will stir our hearts. And that we will stand behind these type of men and, those, and, and, and women and our governor and our mayor and all so many others who are standing for righteousness. Because you said, Lord God, this is what I require of you. To love justice. And to do mercy. And walk humbly before your God. So Father, we cry out for justice tonight. 
that godly justice and morals will be upheld in our country and in our land and in our precious state. And, Lord, we just bless our brother Jimmy, his wife, his two children, his mother-in-law. We just bless his family. And we thank you for giving him the contacts. And get him into the right people in the right places so that, Father, he can become a voice on behalf of your church and on behalf of our children and our future. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, listen, we love you. We bless you. Tuesday night intercession, Wednesday night Bible study. God bless you. Come meet Brother Jimmy. Make sure you get to meet him. Hug your neck. Tell somebody you love him. God bless you.